The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Today, we are busier than ever, but are we better than ever? Now, the reality is we're busier, but not better. And we are profoundly more connected than ever, right? We're connected to more things, more devices, and more people all at the same time, and yet we feel profoundly disconnected. So the more we're connected, the more disconnected we feel. And we're more hurried and busied than ever. And what does that do in relationships? How does that affect the way we connect with people and talk with people and care about people, even the people we care about the most? The reality is that none of us are at our best when we are hurried and busy. And yet, uh, particularly in our culture, like busy is the way you prove how important you are. And so I know that I am not at my best when I'm busy and I don't do well in caring for my family and those I love and those I should care for. In fact, I think some of my worst moments have been when I am hurried or when I feel like, you know, I'm running late or I've got a deadline to meet. And in fact, one of my, one of my boys, he loves to hug. I mean, he loves to hug long. Like he gives great hugs and he gives long hugs. And he especially likes to give them when he knows that one of us are upset Well, when I'm running late, I seem to come across a little upset, and so then he wants to run over and give me a long hug, and so I have a very distinct memory of trying to get out the door, and I'm running late, and he's over there trying to hug me, and I I literally literally was like, hey, thank you for the hug, but daddy's really got to go, right? And then I get in the car, and I want to just put my head down and be like, what is wrong with me? There's no way I'm the only one that when you're busy and you're hurried, when you're running late, you're not at your best and you treat people like they're in your way, right? They're in your way uh, in line. They're in your way on the road. They're in your way everywhere you go. There's just people and they're in your way. And as a result, especially right now, I mean, I'm talking 2023. This is the world that we live in. People are a problem and their needs are a nuisance. Please hear me. This is not me as your pastor telling me that you're a problem and your needs are a nuisance. No, I'm saying that we as a culture have picked up a mindset that treats people like a problem and their needs as a nuisance. We treat each other as though you're in our way and we would rather be somewhere else and be doing something else. And if we're not busy and in a hurry, we have to look busy and in a hurry. So we're always connected. We're always on our phone. Our heads are always down, distracted, preoccupied, our thumbs busy, searching and looking and texting and sending. And what it says to others is I have something more important to do than to deal with you. Now, as I say that, I know it strikes a chord in you because it strikes it in me. So what do we do about this? Well, Jesus 
commissioned a group of his followers to go out and share the good news that God's kingdom had come near. Jesus, Jesus was doing miracles, signs, and wonders. He was teaching about the love of God and the kingdom of God, and then he sent out 70 to, to preach the good news. And as they went out, they healed the sick, they cast demons out of the oppressed, and they proclaimed the good news that God had come near and God's kingdom was near. The, this story uh, is recorded, that account is recorded by a physician named Luke, who he, he meets Jesus. Now, he's an outsider to Christianity, or he's an outsider to Judaism. He goes, what is it about Jesus that is so attractive and so life-changing? And Luke begins to explore the life and teachings of Jesus and becomes persuaded that he is who he said he was. And Luke becomes part of the early church and later writes out a full account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And it's included in the Bible called the Gospel of Luke. And after he gives this full account of Jesus' teaching, as he sends out these 70 to do all kinds of uh, signs, wonders, and miracles and to proclaim God's love, when they return, they're, they're celebrating the incredible things that happened. And after that, it, Jesus, it says that Jesus is teaching again. And let me pick up right there because he, here's what we're gonna get at very quickly. Here, Jesus is doing miracles. Jesus is loving people. Jesus is showing a better way and his closest friends and followers are living that out. And now he's teaching to a larger crowd and the story is going to shift to go, okay, what is everyone's responsibility? And so we're going to pick up right there. The, a man, a, a lawyer, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, what does it take to get into heaven? What does it take to receive eternal life? And, and so Jesus asks him a question. Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The, the man, the lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now that answer is similarly repeated by the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is asked a question, and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which are a repeating of two of the laws found in the Old Testament. So this lawyer is saying what, is he's giving the right answer. And Jesus replied, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And so let's just pause right there and look at this passage because the man is saying, you know, what do I need to do to get into heaven? You're, you're, you're telling everybody about the, you know, the kingdom of God. Okay, how do we receive it? And, and so G Jesus says, well, you know the law. What does it say? It says to love God and, and love people, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And if you do that, then you love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus pauses and goes, that's right. That's right, absolutely. Do that and you will live. And what he means by live is not just that you're gonna live in this life. It means that you've received eternal life and you'll be with God in eternity. This is life, to love God and love others. The challenge was that for this man, this was an intellectual and religious idea. 
right? Religious people are looking for the laws and the religion and the rules, the, the new ways that you have to practice your belief system. The intellectuals and the academics are looking for new ideas and, and new theories and new research. The experientialists, people who want to have an experience, they're seeking new experiences, new encounters, new adventures. But Jesus isn't trying to give you know, the, re- the religious people new rules or the intellectuals new ideas or the experientialists new adventures. He's trying to shift from a teaching to a way of life. This is not a law. This is a lifestyle. And you get the sense that this lawyer picks up on that, that Jesus is driving home a more powerful point. And so Luke picks up on this, and it's recorded in the very next verse. I'm going to read it in the message translation where it says, looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? In this specific context, the lawyer is speaking on behalf of a lot of people. He's speaking on behalf of us, Jesus. Look, I got a lot going on. I'm busy. Who, who do I need to focus on? If, if you say, you know, if I love God, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Well, who does that include? I mean, who do I really have to love? And Jesus is going to go on and he's going to tell a story. This is a very familiar story. In fact, it's part of... Uh, the common way we speak, we use the term good Samaritan, refer to somebody who helps others. And Jesus is going to tell that story of the good Samaritan. And you've probably heard this story before, but I don't want you just to hear the story. That was the point. This lawyer has heard stories like this and Jesus is trying to catch his attention and say, this isn't another teaching. This is a way of living This isn't about the law, it's about a lifestyle. And when you're interacting with people, it's not about getting it right, like I said last weekend. It's it's about living the love of God. And have we gotten so busy and so hurried and so distracted that we don't know how to live out the love of God? And so the key point that you can't miss I mean, it jumps off the pages, not just of Jesus' interaction briefly, but in the story. And so let me give it to you. It's this. If God matters in my life, then people matter. If God matters in my life, then people matter. If I love God, then I must love people. So I can make it even shorter. Love God, love people. If you need some motto in your life, how am I gonna live out my Christian faith? There it is. Love God, love people. Now, it's sequential. It's first, I need to love God and I need to have an encounter with God. I need to have the love of God in my life and then I can love people well. That's how that verse reads. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the deal. I wanna give you good news. If you do not believe in God, then you're off the hook. If you don't love God, you're off the hook. You can keep living your life self-absorbed and selfish. Now, before you react to that, let me just encourage you with this. Even if right now you're struggling in your faith, maybe you're struggling with whether you love God or not, can I encourage you to maybe deal with that first? That the real issue there is, why am I struggling in my love for God, or whether I believe in God. 
Ask yourself questions like, well, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Where am I going after here? Is there a true, real, living, and loving God? And if so, what is my relationship with him? Maybe as you explore that, you'll begin to discover the value of encountering the love of God. For the rest of us, we have to wrestle with this reality, that if I am not loving God well, I will not love people well. And if I am not loving people well, it's probably an indication that I'm not loving God well. They both reveal each other. And you know why we struggle with this? Is we have a love bankruptcy, meaning there's something deeply missing in every one of our lives, and we struggle with that, right? We're separated from relationship with God. That's how we're born. And throughout our life, you know, we have this love drain because, and, and the reason why we stay hurried and busy and preoccupied is we have, a, we have disordered love. We're looking for things to fill us that will not satisfy. We're constantly trying to put things in our life to make us feel better, to make us happy, to fill our tank, right? Our love tank that can only be fully satisfied and filled by God. But we go looking for other things. What, what is it that drains that tank? What is it that leaves us love lacking? Well, it's sin, right? It's a spiritual sabotage, a separation from relationship with God, sin that sets us on a life course without God, far from God, toward an eternity without God in judgment. But God, right? The story of the Bible, the story of even, even that interaction where Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, what, Jesus wasn't commanding, nor was the law commanding that we, it's all one way. It's just us loving God with everything we've got. No, it was a saying, when you are loved by God, you respond by loving God. God demonstrated his love toward us in this way, that uh, he sent his son to give his life in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him. Right, that's Romans chapter five, verse eight. This is love, that God became one of us to give his life to rescue us from our sin judgment. When Jesus died, he took on our judgment, our guilt, our shame, and he died in our place. He put you first. He put you above all else, and he gave his life to give you life. So when, it, when we believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven, but Jesus came, he, he not only died, but he rose back to life, and in his resurrection, he defeated sin. He defeated death, and he offers eternal life. Can, can I just pause and challenge you? Whatever challenges you may be facing in relationships, whatever lack there is in healthy face time, it begins with your relationship with God. Let's begin there and get that right first. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, then let's not focus on relationships with others. Let's, let's focus on our relationship with God. And what you need right now, what I need right now, is to make sure that my relationship with God is right. And if you've never said yes to Jesus by faith, can I encourage you, would you take that step of faith? Would you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And say, I receive 
God's love. God wants to give love, not demand love. He wants to forgive, and he wants to give you new and forever life. And so if you're making that commitment, would you let us know? You could scan the QR code that's up on the screen, uh, and you're doing that at each of our campuses right now, and you can do that online. When you scan that QR code, uh, and you're going to go, and you're going to fill out that form, one of our pastors will follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God a journey into God's love. You're receiving God's love. God's love that forgives. God's love that gives new life. God's love that changes and transforms us so that we're not focused on religion. We're not focused on laws. We're not focused on just learning new ideas or having new encounters. We're focused on becoming more like Jesus where our lives are changed. In this passage, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's not like there's all these different compartments of how we should love God. It would be a Hebrew idea, an ancient Jewish idea of when you say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. It's saying, with everything you've got, don't hold anything back. Can I encourage you? You are so loved by God that he fills you with the kind of love that spills out of you. And when you love God, you love him with everything you've got. And when you love God with everything you've got, God matters, then people matter. People matter because they matter to God. Jesus challenges the lawyer, do this and you will live. When you begin to experience the love of God and you begin to live the love of God, then you begin to experience the kind of life that we will enjoy in heaven. But the lawyer was, you know, dissatisfied with this answer, meaning he was like, all right, all right, whoa, that's a little bit too big of a commitment. And so he wants to get out of it. Specifically, he's looking for a loophole, how to limit his obligation to love. And so he says, well, you know, how, do you, how, do you, how would you define who is my neighbor? which was limiting the boundaries of love. And so Jesus goes on and he tells a story. He tells a story about a priest who it says was coming down the road, which is a really important point. I'll get to it in just a moment. And then he continues and he says, so to a Levite or someone who works in the temple. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I kind of skipped this whole point. So Jesus tells a story about a man a Jewish man who gets robbed and beat up and left on the side of the road. And it looks like he's dead. So a priest is walking down the road, sees the man, goes out of his way to avoid him and keeps going. Then, then Jesus continues and says, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then it says, but a Samaritan. Now, it's important in this context to know that Samaritans uh, saw themselves as enemies of the Jews. And the Jewish people looked down on them and, and despised them. I mean, there was a real racial bigotry and hatred in this time. And it says that as a Samaritan saw the Jewish man dying on the side of the road, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him and he went to him. When, people when God matters in my life, then people matter. When people matter, 
you go out of your way to help them. When people matter, you go out of your way. You go out of your way to do what? Well, what does this Samaritan man do? The, the one man of the three who had every right to avoid getting involved in a Jewish man's life is the only one that cared enough to stop what he was doing and go out of his way. All right, so let's pause for a moment and hear a couple things because it might directly affect how we live and how we relate to people in real FaceTime. The priest and the Levite, I've taught this story before and this this parable before, and uh, you could lean into the idea that maybe they were on their way to Jerusalem and they were going to do service in the temple, and if they touch a dead man, that would make them ceremonially unclean and unable to do the work. And so they used religion and God as an excuse not to care for the man. Well, that's, that's inexcusable. But it's more than likely the way Jesus told the story. It says that they were going down from Jerusalem, which the term down always means away from. So here's the point. They just finished their service. They just finished working in the temple. They just finished worshiping God. And now they're coming from the synagogue. So in using our terms, they just finished the church service. They're just finishing a time of worship. And now there's someone in need and rather than caring for him, they ignore him and avoid him. Here's the point. They had no excuse. It wasn't like they were trying to get somewhere quickly to go worship God. They had just come from prayer time. They had just come from worship. They saw a need and they avoided it. They distant, they, you know, you can almost use like in, our, in, our, you know, in the last three years from the pandemic, they like socially distanced themselves from someone, who was sick, from someone who was dying. And the Samaritan man went out of his way. When people matter, you go out of your way for them. You don't go out of your way to avoid them. You go out of your way to close the distance between you and them. Well, what happens when you close the gap, right? When you get close enough to care, that's the point. What happens is when you get close to people, you begin to care for people. This Samaritan closed the gap and got close enough to see the need and care for the need. What is keeping you from getting close enough to care about people? Maybe you're keeping your distance by staying endlessly connected to your device, to entertainment, to excuses, an excuse to simply not have to pay attention. And you know, it's not like you're trying, right? We live in a world of endless distractions where we are so preoccupied and so consumed and absorbed on our devices. And I'm not just picking up phones. I feel like in general, we are so absorbed that we don't even notice people. We don't see their needs and their hurts and their pain. So can I challenge you? Can I ask you, if God matters... People matter. Disconnect long enough to connect. Rather than being separated from people because you're preoccupied and in a hurry, create the space and pace necessary to see people close the gap and recognize needs. Create the kind of pace in your life that's slow enough to see people. If you are going so fast that you can't see your family, 
so fast that you can't recognize a need, so fast that you can't listen to what's going on in somebody's life, you're going too fast. Create the pace necessary to recognize people's needs and create the space in your life, in your agenda, in your schedule so that you can help meet someone's needs. Let's jump back into the story. So what does he do? He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. So the next thing you notice is that when you care for people, when people matter, you don't just go out of your way. When people matter, you get involved. When people matter, you get involved in their life. You get involved in listening rather than demanding to be listened to. When people matter, you, you take the time to recognize their needs, not as a nuisance and not, you know, it, the key here is that I'm recognizing other people's needs, not just my own needs, right? Jesus was saying this. Remember, this is in the context of Jesus talking with his lawyer, and the answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love God with everything. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a like, how do I care about myself? You say, I gotta love others that way. Do we care about our neighbors? Do we recognize people? Do we get involved the way we want others to get involved in our lives. Recently, um, several of us in my family got sick. I mean, like got that nasty stomach bug. And I, I you know, I, when I was sick and Laura is sick, you know, we're the big people in the house. So we not only gotta take care of ourselves, we gotta take care of the other kids. And I kind of made that comment. I was like, man, it is tough being an adult, right? Because we got, we got to take care of everyone else, but no one's going to take care of us. You know, just that feeling. And by the way, people reach out, want to take care of us, but you know, no one's going to clean up our messes. Um, and, and that's not me whining. That's me saying this. Here's the deal. We want others to take care of us. My needs. Somebody looking out for me. But the point of the story is not, um, Jesus is not answering it as in, who is your neighbor that you are obligated to take care of? But who are you willing to be a neighbor to? How can I get involved in others' lives? Where are there needs around me that I am responsible to get involved in? So what does this man do? This Samaritan man who's traveling down the road, who pauses long enough to go out of his way to close the gap and get involved. Well, how does he get involved? It's very specific. He goes to the man. Now, think about it. This Samaritan had somewhere to be. He probably just put on a, a, a new shirt. I mean, he got a new outfit. Um, and now he doesn't want to get his outfit bloody and dirty. He, he's, uh, you know, he's got to spend money. He had a list of things he wanted to spend that money on. Instead, the moment demanded that his needs got put aside and he focused on the needs of someone else. In this story, he has to give up his time. He, probably the bandage that he put on the man, you know where those bandages came from? He ripped them off of his own clothes. He literally would have torn pieces off of his own clothing to wrap this man's wounds because he would have done the same for himself. So he rips off pieces of his own clothing. He has wine and oil that he would have carried for food and, and, and just basic needs of his day, right? He pours the wine like, you know, as a, as a way to treat the wounds. He uses the oil that he would have used for cooking. He uses that to, as a balm to treat the wounds. And then he uses money that he had for his own needs to care for this man. 
The point is that he got involved by using his own resources, what he had with him to treat the needs of someone else. This, this means you don't always have to go, you know, you don't always have to go and, you know, like go home, get your resources to come back and care for someone. It's like, what do I have right in front of me? What resources do I have right now that I can use to help someone else? The key is just get involved. Care enough to help. Not just care enough to close the gap, but care enough to help. And that actually gets to the final key point here. Let me read this to you. The, the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Um, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. That's the story. And then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And that was the key point, right? That it wasn't about who is my neighbor, who am I obligated to take care of, but who am I being a neighbor to? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What's the key? When people matter, you care for their needs. When people matter, you go out of your way, you close the gap. When people matter, you get involved in their lives. When people matter, you take the time to care for their needs. And how many needs are around us that remain invisible because we're distracted, because we're in a hurry, because we're preoccupied, because what we're doing is more important than the people around us. Look, I'm not preaching at you, I'm speaking right to my own heart and from my own heart, how many times I've missed this because I forgot that when God matters in my life, people matter more than my agenda. When God matters in my life, people matter more than anything else I'm doing. Relationships matter. People matter. Your family matters. Your friends matter. Your relationships matter. And a watching world understands the love of God by the way we love others. Loving others who need us and have nothing to offer us. When we love others well, simply because when God matters in my life, people matter. How can you reprioritize your life how can you slow down and change the pace and the space of your life so that you can prioritize people mattering because God matters? I wanna take a moment and I wanna pray over you, but I wanna invite you to respond because this isn't just a sermon, this is a, a lifestyle. And this is a challenge as we, you know, as we came out of the pandemic and we got so disconnected and so isolated and shielded from each other where we see people as problems and their needs as a nuisance. We gotta turn this upside down and right side up and begin to see people through the eyes of God. So I wanna pray with you, but I really want you to pray. Respond and say, God, help me in this area to love people the way you love me. Would you join me right now? Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you closed the gap between heaven and earth, that you got close enough to our needs to get intimately involved. That was you ripping your own clothing to wrap our bandages. That was you pouring out the wine of your blood to, to uh, cleanse us of our unrighteousness. That was you pouring out the oil of, of your compassion into our woundedness to cleanse us of sin, to cleanse us 
of our, of our unrighteousness. And so God, we've received your love. Now help us to live your love. Let this be a lifestyle, not a teaching, a lifestyle, not a law. May we love well. God, we wanna proclaim that you matter, but we know that the way we proclaim it is by living it and by loving others. So we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.